Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. This is Outside the Tank. I'm Tom. That's Joe. We are your fearless co-hosts. We are so excited to bring you this episode. Josh Belinsky of Slate Chocolate Milk. Uh, He was on the show with his partner, Manny. This was season 11, episode 23, with an air date of May 13th of 2020. Uh, Really excited to to dig into this with Josh. Um, And for those of you listening, we appreciate the support of our brand new uh, scrappy little startup podcast outside the tank. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure to subscribe wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Uh, If you're on Apple, give us that five-star review. It's, It's so helpful for us in spreading the word um, to, to listeners. And uh, again, we just appreciate you listening. And we really hope that you dig what we're uh, trying to do here at Outside the Tank. Joe and I spend all day working with entrepreneurs. We're co-founders of a company called Growth 10. Uh, we put entrepreneurs all over the country into tribes that work on each other's business, that help each other grow in a very safe and confidential environment. And we're really proud of that learning community. We're really proud of the impact it has on entrepreneurs and small businesses throughout the country. And we thought, what kind of a podcast can we start that would be interesting? And we realized there's all these cool entrepreneurs that go on to Shark Tank to never be heard from again, unless you happen to follow them on social media or buy their product. And we wanted to find out what's all this stuff that didn't air? How did they get on the show? What's the history of the business? What happened afterwards? So we figured we're going to launch a podcast and get to the bottom of it. And that's what we're doing here at Outside the Tank. So we appreciate you listening. We appreciate the support. Joe, Josh goes on to Shark Tank. What happens? Josh and Manny had his partner, Manny, there. They have Slate Chocolate Milk. It's a <clears throat> lactose-free product. They had a prototype. They probably went on too early, in their opinion, but they were asking for 400000 for 10% of their company, a $4 million valuation. They had no revenue, Tom, and no sales. Uh, they passed the product out, and Mark Cuban grimaced right up front. Um, <laughs> so they didn't have an auspicious start. That was not the desired. That was not the desired reaction. I believe they were looking for. No, and then it actually went downhill uh, from there. Um, uh, Lori felt it was just too early. They had mentioned that they'd sold half the company for two hundred thousand to uh, another partner. Was another partner. Barb was out quickly. Mark Cuban was out quickly. Rohan Osa was out quickly. They got no deal. And on the surface, Tom, this looks like another crash and burn Shark Tank entrepreneurial experience. But I think there's more to the story here that we're going to uncover. Exactly. And that's why you listened outside the tank, because Joe and Tom will get to the bottom of (laughs) 
<laughs> all things Shark Tank Entrepreneur. So uh, with that, let's get to our awesome interview with Josh Belinsky of Slate Chocolate Milk. All right, we're here with uh, Mr. Slate Chocolate Milk himself, Josh Belinsky. Josh, welcome to Outside the Tank. Appreciate it. One, one of two chocolate milkmen. I got my co-founder, Manny, as well, but uh, I'm sure you guys have heard him on, on many other shows. So let, let's jump right into it because you, you said something off air along the lines of, yeah, they just slaughtered me. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was brutal. What, what happened uh, inside uh, the Shark Tank set for you from your perspective? Yeah, I mean my co-founder and I talked about it after that. Uh, I think we blacked out about 80% of what happened. It's hard. You're in there for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. And most of what was going on in there, I, I can't even remember even the second we got out of it. Um, but in there, we were a very, very early stage company. We were just coming off a Kickstarter campaign. We had just been doing some pilot uh, lab and, and sampling um, of our product. We, we didn't even have a final product yet. And so when we got out there, it was it was a formula. It's it's not the formula I don't think anybody else uh, has ever tasted. Um, but we just wanted to make sure we got something out there. And unfortunately, when you tell somebody to expect chocolate milk, and uh, it, it they previously may have had some things that didn't make it taste fully like chocolate milk, uh, they the reaction was very very strong. And uh, you know, before we went out there, we were talking to the producers, and they're like, "You got to remember, they're not just investors; they're actors." And so any slight emotion they might have is going to be exaggerated. So, and then, uh, uh, so yeah. uh, Cuban, Cuban took a drink and just grimaced. I mean, he's yeah. really dramatic. He got, we got the big reaction out of him. So, uh, but yeah, they, they ended up being uh, great. I mean, what was interesting is as the show went on, what you didn't see is as they continued to drink it, it started to grow on them. Um, you know, you don't know what they eat in between breaks. You don't know what they're drinking in between breaks. And so the first thing they get 30 seconds in is a sip of your product. And so sometimes you are getting whatever that mixed palate is. They're not taking palate cleansers between breaks, you know? Um, so I think that, that, uh, once they had the opportunity to truly taste the product on its own is when they started, we started getting a lot better reactions from them. So I don't think it made air that you had done a Kickstarter. Tell us about your Kickstarter experience and how that went. Yeah, Kickstarter, I, I can't highly recommend it enough. I know there's somewhat of a stigma out there when I first brought it up to my co-founder that if you can't raise money, you have to do a Kickstarter. Um, a lot of really successful brands, Allbirds and a million others um, have been successful on there. And the way that we thought about it was it's a great way to get our initial core group of believers. And also we saw it as more of a marketing campaign. It's much less of a fundraising site. Um, it's pre-selling your product. And so uh, we ended up getting 1,200 backers, a little over $50,000. Our goal was only 10,000. So we had overwhelming uh, feedback, which was great. And a lot of it was just validation of, does anybody actually want this? Um, it's actually from the Kickstarters how we got invited to Shark Tank. One of the casting producers, we didn't go through the normal application process. It wasn't even really on our radar. We were so early. But one of the casting producers loved our video. It was a very sarcastic video about us helping to ch fix chocolate milk and uh, invited us out to the show. So uh, the Kickstarter was very successful that way. Core audience, get on Shark Tank. And it's actually how we got into our first retailer. Did you go in there wanting a deal or was it more about the exposure for you? 
I think it's always a little bit of both. The, uh, the sharks can always add a lot of value before we went out there or even accepted to be on the show. We talked to a lot of other entrepreneurs that had been through the process, especially ones that took a deal to ask how influential were these sharks. And I think across the board, it doesn't hurt. It can only help uh, having these guys on your team. Uh, just to keep in the back of your mind that they do have so many portfolio companies that we knew that we weren't willing to give up a large portion of equity when we went on the show. Um, and also, while these guys could add a lot of value, we didn't want to um, not only give up a large chunk of equity, but really bring down the valuation of what we were already currently raising on. So we were raising from other angel investors, and we went out there at the valuation that we thought was fair, um, that we thought we had seen... Uh, companies of our size get in while they're raising at a seed stage. Um, obviously on Shark Tank, they're going to, no matter what your valuation or rationale is, they're going to tell you it's stupid and ludicrous. Um, but uh, but yeah, we, we really went in there looking for a partner. We were excited to have Mark there, to have um, Rohan, obviously the beverage whisperer there, um, and, and the rest of the Sharks as well. And if they had made an offer at our valuation, we absolutely would have taken it. Um, but the, the press was just a kind of a nice boost outside of it. Do you think you went in at the right time? I mean, obviously, kind of pre-revenue, pre-product. Was was the timing okay for you, or do you wish it had been a, a different timeline? That's uh, it's a good question. You know, when we ended up filming it almost a full year before it aired, and so we filmed pre-everything, and then we launched, and we actually aired this most recent summer. And I had family members and friends and people being like, why didn't you talk about all the retailers you're in, the e-commerce sales you have? Like, what are you doing? You guys are so much more far past this. How do they not like the product? And so it's funny, a lot of people just don't realize there's such a delay there. So I would say that um, no matter when we went on the show, I don't think they ever would have gotten to the valuation that we would ask for and what typical food and beverage companies are able to raise at. Um, you look at a lot of successful brands that I've seen out in the world that have been on the show, Kodiak Cakes, Super Coffee, just to name a, a few, um, the valuations they asked for on the show, clearly the Sharks were not fans of. They did not take a deal and they're just as successful, if not more successful now. Um, so I think for us, getting the press around while we were still in the infancy stage of launching was really, really helpful. So I don't, I don't regret the fact of being on the show that early. Um, I think it has only helped us. Now, the downside is that I think that America could have gotten a better view of, of what Slate is and, and how great we've been doing. I think that could have helped for sure. Um, but what we've seen is that retailers and consumers don't necessarily trust what the sharks think. They want to try things on their own. Um, so we still were able to get in front of millions of viewers and, uh, and get a lot of traction behind uh, who we are and at least putting out there that there is a chocolate milk out there that isn't just for kids. Josh, you alluded to a third partner, someone who had a great deal of credibility, uh, perhaps yeah. in the industry. And I think it was brought up that you might have um, sold half the company uh, for 200000 early. And I think that was a sticking point, or at least that's what came through uh, from what was edited and put out on air. What can you tell us about that and how that affected the deal and, the, and their perception of your valuation? Absolutely. So uh, it wasn't even close to half the company. Uh, we we have a, a third partner that we initially set out looking for a third co-founder. My, my co-founder and I had a lot of tech experience, a little bit of food experience, but we wanted somebody that was through and through food that had all the relationships. And so um, I actually got paired up on a golf tournament, uh, just kind of random in, out here in Boston. 
with a guy who was the first sales broker for Chobani. He actually, he met Hamdi when he was doing about a hundred grand in sales and helped grow that business to over 150 million um, and was with them all the way through being a, over a billion dollar company. So he had the, the credibility on that. And then um, he actually heard from a buyer that they wanted to start seeing frozen Greek yogurt. And he ended up starting a business with his daughter and his daughter's best friend called Yasso, um, which they were the, the, he was kind of the lead funder and, and um, the man behind the scenes helping technically the VP of sales, I believe, for them um, from start all the way through nine figure exit. And so um, he had already done it twice in dairy. And this was kind of his, his next chapter going to now fluid milk. Um, and so we, as soon as we met him, we knew that he was the right partner for us. Um, he is not an equal founder. He is not, you know, but he is, he's a crazy old man that we love and, and does a lot for us and has been able to open up so many doors, so many investors. I would do that deal a hundred times over again, but yeah, he is not an equal partner, not even a third of the business. Gotcha. So you, uh, you alluded to this before we went on the air, but your, your prototype for lack of a better term, wasn't yeah. exactly a, um, what you now have on the shelves. So tell us yes. what you actually <laughs> were handing out. Yeah. So we were handing out, uh, for, for anyone that has seen the product we have, we're in a 12 ounce sleep can. It's the white clock can is the uh, most recognizable product, I believe. And when we went out there, we were still in the pilot R&D. We were still just figuring out what flavors we wanted, things like that. We got invited out to Shark Tank and we had to do full court press on, we got to get them product to taste. We weren't even done yet. And so we had uh, our lab make them up, but they didn't have any of those 12 ounce cans. So they had these short, stubby, little, ugly eight ounce cans that, are just brutal that we would never ever show to a shark. So when we flew out there, we bought um, another brand that are in a 12 ounce sleep can. We went to the staples down the street, printed out a piece of paper with what our, we thought our brand was gonna be, and it doesn't even look like that now, taped it around there. And, uh, and, hand, and then instead of giving them the short stubby cans, we ended up pouring them into little shot glasses. So going back, we would have realized that those pouring those out happens, you know, 10 minutes before you give them to the sharks. The milk was a little bit warm at that point. So lesson learned on that one, number one. Uh, number two, when they held the can, they could feel the crinkle of the paper. So they are like, okay, these guys are super early stage. Why are they asking for such a high valuation? And then number three, what I was talking about earlier with, you know, you're expecting something different. We had them try the dark chocolate first. And when, you're, when I tell you you're going to have chocolate milk and you drink dark chocolate, it, it's a totally different drinking experience. It's, it's more bitter. It's thinner. It's really going after that like plant-based drinker. And so if I said, think about a plant-based milk, here's what you should be like. But instead, it was like, think of your indulgent, rich, thick, fat chocolate milk. And then you're drinking this, you're like, whoa. So I, we think that's why Mark had that crazier reaction. But, but hey, we'll own it. I mean, we made mistakes. It was... Uh, we were very comfortable in front of large audiences. We've definitely never been as nervous as we were going in there. During your actual pitch, is there anything, I mean, you can't change the fact that you were pre-rev and you were, you were where you were in the life cycle mm -hmm. of the business, but is there anything, is there a different strategy that you think you could have done? Or, I mean, you just were where you were at that point. Yeah, I think from a strategy perspective, when, the, when we were handing out the samples, and they felt the paper, they immediately brought up the valuation. And the, the bulk of the beginning of when we were in there was on the valuation. And what's a bummer is the seven minute clip on, on TV, six minutes of that I'm pretty sure was about the valuation where 
there was another 45 minutes of footage that was awesome just kind of back and forth about the brand about us and and uh you know the, they can cut it however they want and we knew that going in and and we were okay with it um but in terms of like where we could have guided the discussion more i think that we could have done a, a better job of saying we hear you and then kind of moving them over to our story because everything how we've raised money to date how we've gotten retailers to date everything we've done that we've been successful in is really to, to, to talk about us, tell our story and build a relationship with the person that's sitting across from us. Uh, it is very, very hard to do in the tank, as I'm sure everyone knows uh, here. But for those of you who don't, all five of them talk at the same time. I don't know how ABC does it, but they all are firing questions at the same time. And you kind of have to focus one at a time. And they do a great job of like muting mics and like, I don't know how they do it, but you got to like figure out where you're going. Um, and so because there was just so much chaos all the time, we were more reactive than proactive. And I think that we could have got, done a better job of being proactive and guiding the discussion how we wanted it to go. We've heard that from uh, actually many entrepreneurs that we've interviewed already. Many of them wanted to be more story-based, story-brand-based, mission-driven, vision-driven in their pitch. And they just got caught up in that rapid fire. And exactly. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. So the episode airs May 13th of 2020, not that yeah. long ago. What were those next 48 hours like for you and for the business? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of, uh, a lot of brands, before we did that, we wanted to make sure we prepared. So we spent two weeks preparing our warehouses, making sure everything was ready to go, trying to get a little bit of press around it. We, did, we knew that it would probably wasn't going to look great, but we knew that it was still going to get in front of all these consumers. Um, so I think it's everybody that goes on the show, I think, gets somewhat of a lift. You know, were we the company that did a million dollars overnight in sales? No. We, unfortunately, it was, it was during still kind of towards the beginning of COVID. Our episode actually was supposed to be on 8 o'clock on Friday when everybody's routinely ready to watch Shark Tank. Our episode actually got moved up to that Wednesday at 10. So we had the least viewed episode all year and we were uh, second to last, which apparently the viewership dropped off big time after the first few uh, pitches. So I'm not, not making excuses, still millions of people. So not to get you wrong, not get me wrong, but, uh, but it was definitely like not quite the spike that we were hoping for. And I also think that people like just weren't sure. We were so early, the sharks didn't like the taste of the product. Um, but like I said, we still got, hundreds of people coming in, placing orders, uh, asking us questions, asking where we can be found, um, all that kind of good stuff. But at that point, you know, we were in about 300 stores, uh, maybe a little bit more, as well as selling through our site. So we still were in the infancy stages. We didn't launch our business until November of last year um, or of 2019. So uh, we were still like five, six months old. And I think that uh, the validation for us out there in the market for people to like really sink their teeth into it just wasn't quite there yet. You you mentioned you have changed the formula then. What you're selling now is not what you took onto the show? Yeah, uh, very different. Uh, much more enhanced products. We've had overwhelming great reaction from a lot of folks. We've worked with athletes from all 32 NFL teams, a bunch of NBA teams. We're fueling a lot of singer-songwriters, uh, you name it. I mean, chocolate milk, a lot of people get excited about it because they haven't had it in a long time. And uh, we're trying to get it as close to the their childhood favorite drink as they possibly can in terms of taste, and then really enhancing those nutritionals all the time. So we put out a new formula. Um, 
in November was we're constantly improving it. What we launched in November is is now improved even to today. Um, and those those nutritionals right now are, are still that 120 to 130 calories, nine grams of added sugar, and 17 grams of protein. Um, and and we just listen to feedback all the time. You know, from our consumers, we know that added sugar is an issue for a lot of folks. We know that people um, like products that are truly indulgent don't have that like weird aftertaste from some of these high intensity sweeteners. Um, so actually coming up in the next couple of months here, we, we are upgrading the formula again, and we're going to create an overall thicker, no aftertaste, better product, just overall taste, more indulgent, um, that actually gets rid of all of the added sugar in the product. So we're really excited for that to come out. I mean, is it safe to say that you guys are moving very, very quickly to get better as quickly as you can. Because some people we see fall in love with their product and it's great. And then they argue with the sharks and they argue with their, <laughs> their customers. It seems like you guys have zero ego and you're like, look, we're just gonna keep making this better every single week. It's what we do, it's our philosophy with everything. It's the product, it's the team, it's whatever we are. You know, we, we joke with our employee. We're like, call us stupid and ugly. Like whatever it is, just we gotta, if we're not getting better, Manny and I both grew up playing sports and that's how it was. If you thought you were all set and you didn't need to practice anymore or change anything about your shooting form or tackling form or whatever it was, then you're not going to get better. And so that's, that's what we truly believe and the mentality we have as a team. So the product, I think we were talking to the, one of the folks early on at buy, I think they reformulated like 12 times before they sold to Dr. Pepper. And, and I would make an argument that they should continue to reformulate it. I'm sure that they are. Um, so yeah, absolutely agree with that hundred percent and, and what we release and we think is now even better coming out in a couple of months. Wouldn't be surprised if that gets uh, enhanced again in a year. Wow. So these are all just very little, uh, tweaks, Josh, that, um, maybe some people, uh, consumers wouldn't even notice, but, uh, it's exactly, it's about, it's about exactly. getting to perfection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And we always talk about how we think about doing things is we're never going to make a lateral move. If we think that something might not increase the likelihood of somebody drinking it or coming back, we're not going to do it. Everything always has to be one step forward. Um, and we just try to take pages of, of other successful brands playbooks. Like I said, buy halo top. So um, one of our uh, uh, newly investors was one of the founders of halo top. And, and he's, he said to us, he's like, we would have been even more successful if we just took the time to focus more on our original SKUs, to make those products even better so that they're even closer to that indulgence of a Ben and Jerry's. But why they were so successful is because they kept creating products that were better for you and reminded people of, of simple things that they love. Um, ice cream. They just made ice cream you know, so you could eat the whole pint. Uh, what Super Coffee has done is they've taken these high in sugar mocha frappuccinos and they've created a healthier coffee with no added sugar. Um, it's what Smart Sweets just did when they sold. They took your favorite childhood candies and made it so that they were healthier for you. So we're not trying to reinvent any crazy uh, or invent some kind of crazy foreign, uh, crazy ingredient type product. It's just chocolate milk and we're just taking away the bad stuff and trying to keep the good stuff there. You mentioned some different investors that clearly are strategic in the sense they've been there, done that in this space. Do you have a formal board of advisors or do you just have one-off conversations with some of these people? We have, uh, we've taken the approach of, I know there's a couple different methods when people are building their business and some folks like to take three big checks from folks and, and keep their cap table really clean. We're of the opinion that the more strategic people you can get on your team that have different strengths, the better. 
So we have an array of folks that um, are founders of food and beverage companies in dairy and not um, founders of very successful e-commerce companies, um, a couple of celebrities, uh, some um, just tech investors, people that really understand that e-commerce space on that side. So, you know, for us, it's been picking up the phone for five minutes and getting a quick gut check on something or, Hey, we're having problems with Amazon, you know, which, which one of our investors or advisors is the, uh, the guru on Amazon. Um, and just like I said, constantly learning and taking pages out of playbooks of successful companies. It's not just food companies. There's a lot of synergies between industries. Um, so we have, we have no shame in that. We, we don't ever want to be the smartest people in the room. And that's why we constantly add these uh, both advisors and investors to the team to make sure that they can point out the landmines that they've personally stepped in to try to help avoid that for us and, and make our dollars more efficient because cash is king in this world. Josh, the, the next 12 months, what one or two big areas have uh, your and, and Manny's attention right now? What one or two areas of the business are, are you guys really focusing on and targeting for improvement? Yeah, so uh, innovation and velocity are the two big focuses right now. We have these three SKUs that we are upgrading to have no added sugar. We plan on releasing uh, two new canned SKUs at some point later this year, if not early next, um, and then some other completely separate uh, new innovation that we're really, really excited about that we can't quite talk about yet, but uh, hopefully sometime soon we can start to tease that to folks. So making sure that we're constantly giving our consumers something new to look forward to and helping uh, build new categories in the grocery store is what gets our buyers excited and, and our team excited and our consumers. So that's one big focus. The velocity is second big focus. I think as an early stage food company, you gotta be crazy if uh, you don't think that units per store per SKU per week isn't the most important metric or one of the. Um, and so we, when I, like I said, last summer, we were at about 300 stores and we had three employees, we had one employee and two co-founders. We're up to almost 14 folks full-time now. And we just got authorized in uh, a little over 3000 stores. So a lot of the major grocery stores on the East Coast, everywhere as north as the northern tip of Maine and Hannaford's, um, two regions of Whole Foods, Wake Fern, the two regions of Giant um, in, in Mid-Atlantic, Harris Teeter, and the big, big, big win for us that is typically very challenging for food and beverage companies to get in early on. Um, we just got chain-wide at Publix. So we're super yeah. excited for, for that rollout that's coming out late March um, and of 2021. And our goal now is to just make sure that we are the best selling item in every set that we're in. And that that's really the main focus right now is how do we make sure that consumers know who we are, that they're buying this, that they're repeat purchasers, and what do they need from us to make sure that that happens. So uh, if you ask my mom, she is pretty much once a month is like, you sure you don't want to like message the Shark Tank people and tell them that you just got Publix and what you're doing now? So I'll probably hear that for the rest of my life. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Well, I, I think this is an important lesson for all the entrepreneurs listening. You go on to the show, May of 2020, just get pounded into the ground. Uh, <laughs> if you're watching it, and, 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 I, and I know you can laugh about this now, but if you're watching it like we were right before we interviewed you, you're sitting there going, is this, is this guy in business? Did he right. make it? You know, what, what happened? Did they go home and cry and go get dates? <laughs> like, what, what yeah. happened? And then here you are, less than a year later, absolutely killing it. And 
I, I, I'm curious what you think. To me, it's a testament to the fact that you guys just weren't, were not going to take no for an answer and you've just rapidly gotten better and learned and pivoted. What do you attribute that to? Because again, you're, you're on there in May with a fake can, a product that admittedly didn't taste good. You get destroyed by these sharks, yet here you are. So what, what do you attribute that to? I think that the philosophy that my, my co-founder and I have always had is everything happens for a reason, number one. And that you, we never, you can never put all of your eggs in one basket. If, if Shark Tank was going to be the make or break for our brand, if we literally weren't going to survive without it, then um, I think that you, we'd be having a very different conversation. But my co-founder and I had the conversation before of we need to make sure that we realize we don't need this. We don't need them. And I know the sharks hate to hear that. And if they do hear this, they'd be like, oh, we shouldn't even have these guys on the show because they want people that need them. Um, but we knew that going forward, there is nothing in business that we ever truly want to put all of our eggs into. Um, and things are going to happen. You know, it's, it's all about the relationship with our co-manufacturer, the relationship with each of our ingredient suppliers, the relationship with our investors. We do need all of those to be successful. Um, but we've always had the attitude of like, if something doesn't work out, we just got to run through a different brick wall. And, and this was definitely a brick wall. And it's really hard not to get a cop the, caught up in the moment. When we were out there, we were like, we don't need a deal. We're going out there. We, we want to get them on the team, but we don't need it. And then you get out there and you're like, ah, but I kind of want a deal. It would be really <laughs> nice if we got a deal. And then when you sit back watching it, you know, we called each other before the show aired. We're like, just remember, like we're in this together. It, it is, you know, it is what it is, whatever happens, because you don't get to see it before it airs. So you guys saw it for the first time when I did. And to sit there, it's an ego hit big time because around you, your family and friends and a lot of people in the industry, especially if we were off to, we've been off to a pretty hot start in our first year. A lot of the stuff is positive around you and a lot of people are excited for you. And then on basically the, the nation's biggest stage, they, a lot of people don't understand the ins and outs of how fundraising works and stuff like that. In their eyes, you don't get a deal on Shark Tank, you're a loser and your company sucks. Like that, that's just, it is what it is. There is no middle ground. And so it's absolutely an ego hit to us. And uh, we tried to keep our head up and, and keep moving forward. And um, two really lucky things about us is that we're co-founders. I think that is a, a huge part of, of why we were able to stick through this. Me being up there by myself, no chance I have the same feeling. Um, all of the major, major hits we've taken and then the wins we've had has been because we've been able to do it together, as, as corny as that sounds. Um, but that is absolutely vital to the success that we've had so far. Um, and now I can't even remember the second thing, but I think that the co-founder is, is absolutely crucial for, for the success there. Let me, let me ask you this, because you, you bring up a great point, which is, hey, we're, we're, you know, we're taking this risk and making ourselves vulnerable by being entrepreneurs and all of our you know, friends and family that have never taken a risk in their life are watching us very judgmentally. So what, tell us, tell the entrepreneurs listening, what do you have to have? Do you have to have thick skin? Do you have to have not an ego? Do you have to have very poor listening skills? Do you have to ignore it and put your head in the sand? What do you do to just get rid of all that garbage? Because it's, like you said, you made yourself very vulnerable by being on the show and not getting a deal. So how do you get rid of all that garbage noise that's coming from the outside as an entrepreneur? Great question. I think it's a mix of everything you said. You have to have thick skin. Things are going to happen. And it's not just Shark Tank. Things are going to happen all the time that are 
going to kick you and they're going to try to kick you down and keep you down there. Um, you have not only competitors in the industry, you have big CPG that are always going to be trying to knock you off or push you out of the way or push you down for shelf space. Um, single serve beverages, you got Coke guys going in there every day and elbowing you out of the way. And you just got to make sure that you're motivated each and every day to work out work, out smart, out play, out hustle, all of these folks. And so I think that hustle gene is number one. Making sure you have thick skin is number two. Um, and you really cannot have an ego in this business. I don't care if a chart tank or anything else. People are going to tell you you're stupid. I can I can show you all the emails. When I was first starting this, never forget it. I called my dad, who's a super supportive person. And I was in the real estate tech world. And he he looks at me and he's like, he looks at me, he's, I'm on the phone with him. And he's like, let me ask you something. How many wealthy people do you know in real estate? And he paused. And I'm like, a lot. And he's like, how many wealthy people do you know in milk? And, uh, and to him, it was like, you idiot, you're leaving an industry that has so much money in it to go to milk. And I was like, dad, exactly. That's the opportunity. That's what we see. And those are the conversations where the person that, you know, I idolize the most in business, who I've taken so much of my, my salesmanship from and everything was telling me that I was stupid for doing this. And all of our first investor conversations were like, what are you guys doing? You're going to milk? Milk's dying. Nobody likes milk and blah, blah, blah. And that guy, the first sales broker from Chobani, the first time I called him actually hung up on me when I told him I was starting a milk business. So you're going to get a lot of those. And as long as you believe it's truly what's best, not only for you, but for the consumer out there, you just got to keep pushing forward. When Josh, what I, always, what I always like to tell people is those types of things, and they were said to me as well, that's what they were saying to our face. Imagine what they were saying behind our back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we'll continue to, I mean, until you, I, I'm sure now people are still like, I can't believe that kid is doing chocolate milk. I'm no, I know it happens. Yeah. And, and no disrespect to your dad, but I mean, I know some of the people that have given me some of that feedback or said some of those things to my face or behind my back, you sit there and you go, well, you've never taken a risk. You've never put yourself out there. You've never started anything. You've got your, you know, comfortable little nine to five uh, union gig, and you're going to tell me what I should do. You know, so you gotta, again, you got to have some thick skin and, you know, in a polite way, tell them to. to these, are, off, but. Now, these are all well-meaning people that have advised me and you over the years. And they're sometimes a, a parent or an aunt or uncle are just trying to protect us from the absolutely entrepreneurial world out there. I absolutely. have one last question about um, the team that you mm -hmm. guys have put together. I, I have a sense you're a very kind person. Manny looks like a, a very kind person person and it's and my guess is you guys have an incredible team of internal employees external partners and vendors can you just share for newer stage early stage entrepreneurs the importance of a team and the right people putting the right people in the right seat on the slate bus and what lessons you learned in assembling the team that you have now the right people are the only thing that makes this thing work you have to have a great product you have to have a great vision you have to have great people. Great people behind it is is absolutely the most important thing, in my opinion. Um, you can have the best product in the world uh, if you can't execute on it. It doesn't matter. And the people that are going to execute on it, you can't do it by yourself. You can't do it with two people. You need a great team behind you. And so, uh, you know, I've I would like to say I've read a lot of books in in my day, but I tend to listen to more podcasts. Um, but the few that I have, you know, you read about Steve Jobs saying that he always wanted to hire people smarter than him, and and all these successful leaders, and it's true. And it's not only people that are smarter than you, but it's people that have different skill sets. And so what we we've, we've gone out and done is Manny and I have very different skill sets. Manny is creative. He's the marketing brain. He's e-commerce. He's digitally savvy. 
and how much more retail sales, like true, like sales structure, operations, finance world. And so we actually, we married each other really well. Um, and the first hire we had, we knew had to be another one of us, an entrepreneur. We only hire entrepreneurs and whether people know it or not, even if they think that they've been in a corporate gig for the last 10 years, we tell every one of our employees, you are running your own business within Slate. The first hire we, we had a girl named uh, Anna, we call her AC. She is Slate through and through. Uh, she not only did customer service, she was doing demos, she was doing marketing, she did everything. And now she's our head of partnerships, working with all these athletes. She's known as the chocolate milk lady in the industry. People are just DMing her on Instagram to get their chocolate milk. Pro athletes, celebrities, no matter who they are, right? And it's because she's one of us. She's like a sister to us. And uh, it, she, she just really portrays the brand through and through. And she's running a partnerships division within Slate. And it's her own business. She makes decisions on budget, samples. I mean, obviously, we all, we all think of things together. Um, but same thing, our operations team, our finance team, everyone is running their own mini business within Slate and it all kind of comes together. Uh, and the idea of like hierarchy and meetings to have meetings and like nobody wants that. It, it never works. And uh, it, Manny and I are just here to to be the face and to make sure that we have enough money in the bank and we're selling into places and the team are the ones that are executing it day in and day out. So is it safe to say your hiring process is that you do not provide or offer jobs? You're not looking for employees. You don't want people that are looking for jobs. If, if that's what they're coming for, then they're, they're probably going to have to go somewhere else. Absolutely. The first 10 people on our team, uh, we didn't even have a job posting for They either reached out to us and wouldn't leave us alone. And they were like, no, 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 you need me and here's why. Best thing that could happen to us. Uh, or as a, a warm introduction from a friend, um, we met them at an event somewhere pre-COVID. It was all just, this is the person. Uh, somewhat similar to dating when you know, you know. It was very obvious early on. It's like, you are, you are meant to be part of this Slate team. You have the hustle gene was a number one. You are a good person. Sorry for this, but the no assholes rule, right? It, it's absolutely <laughs> a real thing in startups, whether whether an employee, a partner, anything, there's just no time for that. There's there's too many things that are going to go wrong. No matter how great the relationship is, things are going to happen. And that's why it's so important to be able to lean on your partners and work with them on, all right, look, this happened. We're both at fault. We're out 10 grand. Can we split this? Or are you going to make me pay the whole thing? Little things like that are going to be hugely, hugely important. Well, you were fantastic. We, we so appreciate you being on the show. I, we always like to take notes and, and go through them afterwards. Those are my <laughs> notes from you. So uh, for all of the, the great entrepreneurs and, and aspiring entrepreneurs out there, I, I hope you took some serious notes because this is a professional entrepreneur and, and we can't wait to see where he takes the business. Where can people buy the product and then where can they follow you on social media? Because I, I have a feeling you do some pretty cool stuff on social media and we all want to know where can we, if we're sitting there in some obscure spot of the country, where can we order the product uh, if we don't have it at our local store? Yeah, so it's slatemilk.com, S-L-A-T-E-M-I-L-K.com, pretty easy. We sell through our site. That is the best place to find it, the best deals to get. Uh, and then we also are, are on Amazon, we're on Walmart, bodybuilding.com. So a lot of different uh, e-commerce sites, but the site is the easiest, quickest way to do it. Um, in terms of retailers, we're nationwide at this point. Um, in terms of Whole Foods, we're in the New England, New York, New Jersey area. 
um, really up and down the East Coast, where a lot a lot of your local retailers, um, and then kind of sporadically around the country. So I would say that if you're on the East Coast, there's a good chance we're near you. Anywhere else, uh, check our store locator on our website. Right on the top of the page, it says locations. Put in your zip code. It'll automatically show you if there's anything in your area. Um, and then in terms of social media, it's the same thing. It's just at Slate Milk. That's it. We put out a lot of goofy content. Our brand is, is super fun. It's chocolate milk. We, we never take ourselves too seriously. And uh, our marketing team does a really, really good job, whether it's gifts or memes or putting stuff out there. We, we try to balance it between really elegant looking, delicious chocolate milk photos and just absurdly uh, goofy chocolate milk uh, videos and pictures. So check it out. The dude that went with the fake can and the bad formula less than a year later is nationwide, Whole Foods, Walmart, Amazon, new SKUs. Stop making excuses for why you can't grow your business. Josh, you are the man. This was awesome. Thank you so much for being on Outside the Tank. Appreciate it, gentlemen. Good luck. I'll hopefully see you again soon. What an awesome interview with Josh. I, I was so happy to hear, because uh, when we went into the interview, Joe, we really had no idea what happened to these guys. You know, you see the makeshift can, you get the bad reaction on the taste, and it's like, uh, this this might be a really difficult conversation. Yeah, we, we so far it's had a So far it's had a happy ending, right? Well, so we, it could have been that the camera went on and they were sitting there with a coffee can on a street corner, but that was the farthest thing from, <laughs> from reality, they actually did very, very well, as you saw. So let me give you a couple notes, Tom, and then I'll kick it back to you. I just, there are a couple of things that jumped out at me. One of the things that he said is they reformulated, I think, 12 times. And so they were not afraid. They didn't fall in love with that original product that Cuban made that sourpuss face at. They kept tweaking. They weren't afraid to tweak. They weren't afraid to make changes. And I love that. And the other thing that goes along with that is that Josh was very, very, very candid in saying that he never wants to be the smartest guy in the room. Uh, he, <laughs> and with that attitude, we love that attitude. We love coaching entrepreneurs inside of Growth 10 with that philosophy. But th these guys are not afraid to listen, to grab input, to tweak, and to pivot. And also, He's very, very keen on innovation and velocity. And velocity is a word that you and I use a lot. We love the word. We love moving fast, failing fast, succeeding fast. And sometimes we're impatient. Sometimes it takes weeks or months to see trend lines announce themselves. But we're, look, we're still looking for them daily and tabulating those results. But they love innovation and they love velocity. And the last thing I'm going to lay on you, I thought was the best thing I've heard in a long time, and it's a cultural thing about the way they hire. Tom, they only hire, according to Josh, they only hire employees who are entrepreneurs at heart. Yeah, yeah, that, you know, that's something we don't hear often. You know, you hear variations of, oh, you got to hire A players, and our, our team is everything, and, you know, and not that those things are bad, but I had not really heard someone say, yeah, we only hire entrepreneurs. They've got to have that mindset 
Um, and he also said they've got to be fans of the product. So he's saying, look, everyone in our company is an entrepreneur, owns whatever their role is, is their responsibility. And they just love this stuff. And I thought that was so cool. Um, gosh, I have, I have so many notes from, from this conversation and I'll, I'll try to just get to the, the best ones. But, um, you know, he obviously talked a lot about his co-founder, his business relationship. And Joe, I got to tell you, you know, it, it seems like it makes it a lot easier if you can find the right co-founder to push you, to complement your skill set. In fact, you know, um, there are some investment firms that will only invest in companies that have co-founders because they believe it is so important to have someone that you're in the trenches with. And, and I think that's really uh, an important lesson. So try not to go at it yourself. Try to find someone um, that you can build something with that'll complement you really well. And it really makes a big difference on those bad days or on those challenges to talk each other off the ledge. Um, you know, I, I wrote down that people judge books by their cover. Their packaging sucked. And, you know, you got to have the right packaging. And so you may not have a consumer product. Your packaging might be your website. Your packaging may be some marketing that you do. Your packaging may be your social media accounts. But, you know, perception is reality. People do judge books by their cover. So look great. And I, and I, and I think that's an important lesson for all of us. Um, you know, they're clearly open to feedback. And they have a philosophy that they want to be called stupid. They want to be told uh, what they can do better. And I, and I think that that is so important. But, you know, like you said, there is a tremendous velocity to the way they do business of taking feedback and moving super, super fast. And I, and I, I think that's great. Um, they talked about trying to add people, add investors, add employees that have different skills, which means they have different perspectives, which means they have different strengths. And that is so important versus saying, oh, we're only going to bring on investors that think and act just like us or have the exact same skill set. And we're only going to bring on employees that are exactly like us. Those different perspectives, that diversity is so important in an organization as you scale it. Um, and I just thought they were very clear on their strategy. I, you know, we talked to entrepreneurs, Joe, that they will tell you exactly what the next 12 months look like. We also work with entrepreneurs that look like a deer in headlights when you ask them what they anticipate the next 12 months looking like. You got to be clear on your strategy. You got to be focused. Doesn't mean it's not going to change, but you got to have that strategy. So I thought this was great. Um, Josh is great. The company's great. They're doing awesome things. I really enjoyed this one. What about you, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so happy that they're doing well. Really nice people. Josh was great to interview. So Great to know the rest of the story. Great to know they're not sitting there with a coffee can. <laughs> yeah, because if you watch that on TV, that's one where you're like, oh, man, I wonder, you know, I wonder how long it took for these guys to go out of business. So that's what's fun about this show is, you know, we don't know going into these interviews what happened a lot of times. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, sometimes it's a little uncomfortable because they didn't go quite like this. But we're, we're having so much fun. Uh, doing our due diligence on the entrepreneurs, watching their pitch, um, coming up with hopefully what you're enjoying to be very thought-provoking uh, questions of these entrepreneurs. If there's anything we can do better, we can do differently. 
there's a guest that you want to see on the show, uh, hit us on social media. We're outside tank on all platforms. Um, if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe, give us those five stars on Apple, spread the word to your friends and family about the show. Uh, that's how we're going to grow this thing. Uh, we so appreciate your support. And uh, if you're an entrepreneur listening to this, you can always go to outsidethetank.com. Um, you can schedule a call with Joe and I to talk through your business, your idea, your growth strategy, whatever that looks like. We've got a, a book coming out soon that's free for all of our listeners. Uh, give us your email address and you'll get that as soon as it's uh, completed. But this is what Joe and I do all day. We work with entrepreneurs. We talk to entrepreneurs. We put entrepreneurs in groups. Uh, our company's Growth 10, and, and we're so um, you know, proud of the impact that Growth 10 has on entrepreneurs, on small businesses. And so you know, we love to hear we from you We can't get enough of this stuff. We can't. <laughs> we really can't. So the only reason Joe stops talking at the end of the day is because he needs to get some sleep. But he could, he could talk to entrepreneurs. Or a sandwich. A sleep fluid. or a sandwich. That's right. <laughs> so thank you so much for your support. Uh, we, we so appreciate it. We hope you uh, are enjoying what we're doing here. And uh, we'll look forward to continuing to share these episodes with you. Thank you so much. Next time. See you, everyone.